welcome to the St. Emelins podcast. I'm Ian Beardsall. And I'm Simon Carley. And this is our regular roundup each month of the activity on the blog and podcast. And it has been a busy, busy month. We have had lots and lots of blog posts, loads of podcasts, loads of activity. And I have to say, COVID-19 is the topic of the month. It does feel as if there's nothing else going on at times, but I don't know. I think we're at a stage now where we are beginning to get a grip of how we're managing COVID-19 in the departments. And we need to not forget that there's the rest of emergency medicine out there as well. It seems actually that the rest of emergency medicine is the thing that's causing all the bother. We've separated our department, like many, into two areas, hot and cold or blue and red, we call it. And the blue majors, that's the bit which isn't COVID or isn't suspected to be COVID, is really quite tricky to manage because you've got this other disease in the background. And if you're not careful, there's biases there. And you've got to really think about what's going on with those patients. We need to think about emergency medicine. It's not just one disease. And not every respiratory illness coming into the department is COVID. We've got PEs coming in, we've got nothing to do with COVID. We've got exacerbations of COPD for reasons other than COVID. We've got heart failure presenting a shortness of breath. So we really do need to be very mindful that we're not just labelling everything and anchoring that bias on everything's COVID-19. And the other curious thing is that lots of departments are still really, dare I say the word, quiet. I think we like being busy. Emergency physicians enjoy being busy. And here we are... Things are different. It feels very strange. And I think that can get in the way of your thought processes as well. So we all have to be really aware of just how we're behaving at work, how we're thinking, making sure that we're doing our very best every day. One interesting observation is I think, like you, we've had to change the department into hot and cold areas. That means now we've got actually a much bigger floor area. We're much more distributed across the department. We're having to staff lots of different areas, not entirely ones that were particularly designed to be emergency departments when they were set up. And so it's difficult to bring everybody together. But there is the opportunity to take those quieter times to do teaching, to do learning, Although that's quite difficult to maintain social distancing and still run a tutorial. You know, there's lots of challenges out there, lots of things to think about. And these are going to continue, I think. We will have social distancing for some time, even if the world starts to get slightly back to normal. And we have to set an example. The number of times I see on social media a group of healthcare professionals cuddling or smiling whilst standing very close together. We just have to be the ones who show how to behave. If we're not doing it, it really puts a mockery on what Tesco's and Sainsbury's are trying to do when they're keeping you two metres apart. Absolutely. And Ian, as you know, I'm not a hugger. I have enjoyed my social distancing for the last 51 years. So I quite like it at the moment. I don't want to go back to all the hugging. Now, beyond hugging, let's just have a little think about what's been on the site this month. There have been some real highlights, I think, and we could chat a little bit about that. The webinars that we've had from Arkem, we've been really privileged to host those. We can't go through all the papers, but to have reviewed 15 papers in detail on the podcast in the last three weeks is quite something that I'm really proud of. All down to Rick Body and Charlie Reynard. They've put together some fabulous panels. Amazing listening to the virologists. Viruses are truly amazing things. It struck me recently that they're the things that, of course, is the most novel hassle for the last couple of decades. We've had HIV, we've had SARS, we've had H1N1, and now we've got this. Virology is quite cool, I think. It's an area which I've got to admit, before this kicked off, I was pretty ignorant. I think I'm still very ignorant. I'm learning loads from the virologists, but it is an area which I don't think we pay enough attention to in the past. So yeah, a great time to come back up to speed and to learn lots. 
And for those doing exams or critical appraisal, those webinars are fabulous because they take you through just how to think about papers. So even if you're not mad keen on learning about the latest for COVID, they're worth listening to just because they give you an idea about how to approach a paper, how to analyze it, where to look for weaknesses and strengths really should push you towards having a listen to those. Yeah. And I'm going to suggest that although COVID-19 isn't a specific thing in the Alchem curriculum, pandemics are. I've got got a feeling there will be questions about this in the exam. And why not? Because it really should be something we all are experts in over the last few weeks and beyond. We've had other stuff on the site related to COVID, but not directly the science. I found your Lessons from Sports and Exercise Medicine podcast really interesting. And it actually did change a few things about my diet and how I thought about how I could look after myself. I really enjoyed the fact that it was science-based because a lot of nutrition to me seems to be based on fads and, frankly, Twitter nonsense, whereas this was true, proper, randomised controlled trials, meta-analysis. This is what we believe works. And I thought that was excellent. Yeah, I learned a huge amount. John Rogers is now actually working with us in ED as a sports and exercise medicine consultant and is doing some local teaching on on musculoskeletal injury. But his work around elite athletes is fascinating. And and as he says, the biggest problem with elite athletes and getting them out of training and, and making them lose access to events is upper respiratory tract infections. So there's been a lot of work done on how you prevent that. We're an evidence-based medicine site, so there are caveats. And the big caveat here is we're taking evidence from the sports and exercise medicine world, particularly around elite athletes, and then saying, well, how would that work for NHS staff and also for patients? So that's quite a leap in the world of evidence. But another way of looking at it is that's probably the best we've got at the moment. So on the best bets principle, best bet site, as you know, we've been running for many years where we take the best available evidence. This seems to be it. And yeah, I've, I've made some changes as well. I mean, the big thing for me, which I've been banging on about for, for months is sleep and sleep being so important to both your health and also to your mental well-being. And that's come out as one of the big themes in here as well. But unfortunately, that is a bit of a bit of a problem for those of us working shifts. That podcast is well worth a listen. Loads of stuff in there. I did, I'm afraid to admit, go and start raiding the vitamin shelves in the supermarket just to make sure I was up. And the vitamin D thing, especially with us all being inside now, is probably more pertinent now than we thought it should be come springtime in the UK. Well, I live in glorious sunny Manchester, as you know, and I think there's reasonably good evidence where most of us are vitamin D deficiency for most of the time. So of all the things in there that were suggested, I think sleep and vitamin D are the ones with the best evidence base. Now, beyond COVID, Nick Smith, who is a fabulous educator and helps us with all our infographics and loads of really great educational theory stuff, did, a, I think, an article that could have been skipped over if you didn't actually read the site religiously about graphic design in education. And I found the last bit of this really powerful where he just showed in one, and I've gone off the word infographic, actually, it's not my favorite, but in one picture, let's call it that a whole load of information that was so easy to understand. And we could all use this a lot more effectively, I think. I agree. There's a huge amount of information coming out at the moment and things change almost on a daily basis. And what Nick really summarises and and succinctly puts across in this post is how you can make that incredibly efficient and powerful with the use of graphics. And 
there's a lot of educational theory behind this. This isn't just made up. There's a lot of educational theory that says that we can accept complex information in graphical form much better than if we just put them in a form of words. And we know that from algorithms. You know, an algorithm to some extent is like a a graphic of sorts with words. But honestly, read Nick's paper. And there's some incredibly good tips about how you can use your computer to generate graphics, which in a way which I didn't even believe was possible. I thought you'd have to employ an artist. But Nick shows you quite clearly how you can do this using your own PC. One of your soapboxes over the last few weeks, soapboxes unfair, one of your rightful worries, Simon, has been this flurry of evidence that's being published with seemingly little peer review and then can make its way to a presidential podium without really any sort of critique. And you wrote a post about this, about why we need evidence-based medicine. For fear of handing over the podcast for the next hour, this is important, isn't it? It is. And I, I kind of understand why we're in the situation we're in. We've got a very rapidly evolving pandemic with lots and lots of people being affected and many people dying. And so there's that desire to just do something, to just get out there and try something. What have you got to lose, as as President Trump said? It's, It's very tempting, but it's wrong. We can't just go blindly trying things on the on the hope that they're going to work because it worked in a petri dish somewhere in in switzerland we need the evidence to make sure that what we're doing is safe and right and of all the treatments which have been suggested for covid19 apart from oxygen we just don't know the evidence base that's out there at the moment is is very poor what's really fascinating to me is the fact that we're now and i think it's the first time it's really happened in medicine is people are now distributing and talking about and critically appraising pre-peer review publications. So these are pre-prints publications that have not been through a peer review process, and yet people are using that kind of evidence to change their clinical practice. Small numbers, low quality, no control groups, very biased, not blinded, open label, random inclusion criteria type trials, which would probably just automatically reject from the EMJ, not even send them for peer review, are now appearing in some of the world's most prestigious journals and people are acting on them. And my plea is that we can do better than that. What we can do and what we should be doing and what I think we are doing in the UK is make sure that every patient who turns up with COVID-19 has the opportunity to be in a clinical trial. And that's how we'll resolve this through science, not by guesswork. I've learned an awful lot from listening to the webinars. And one thing that struck me was when Paul, who's the professor of clinical virology, just pointed out the history of research into viruses for the last couple of decades. As he pointed out with HIV, it took 10, maybe 15 years to properly understand that disease and refine the medications and treatments such that we have things that are effective now. In today's society, we long for an answer in seconds. We want it tomorrow. We want a vaccine next week. We want a treatment today. Medicine's just not going to be like that. Even with the whole world looking at this disease, we're going to have to be patient. The same for social distancing. It appears that social distancing is working. We've been doing it for about six weeks. You'd think we'd been doing it for 10 years. Look back at history, the World War II, they had rationing for 14 years and they put up with that. Society today just doesn't seem to have any patience We have to just be careful not to rush headlong into stuff that could get us in trouble. Yeah, and all the treatments which have been proposed do have significant side effects. So these aren't low risk opportunities. 
and I was I was challenged quite a lot on Twitter about this because um, I was considered to be an ivory tower academic. Well, you know, they were challenged and say, well, look, if you get COVID nineteen, you're seriously unwell. Would you genuinely not accept these medications? And my answer to that, and which remains the same, is no, I wouldn't. But you're very happy to enrol me into any clinical trial. I'm quite happy to be in any clinical trial, but just don't blindly treat me on the basis of guesswork. Because if we start doing that, then medicine's kind of just gone, hasn't it? And we need to keep some perspective. So hopefully you've been listening to the webinars. They are the pinnacle of the evidence-based medicine we can do at the moment. And Charlie is adding extra papers as well on the ARCHEM site. So there's lots of evidence there where you can actually read that stuff. Go with the medicine rather than going with the popular media, I think would be one of our lessons for this month. Dan Horner's been very busy this month. I mean, this is made for Dan, isn't it? He's an intensive care doctor who's an emergency physician who's also got a research interest in thrombosis. No one can find COVID-19 exciting, but for Dan, this is his opportunity, isn't it? This is his Nobel Prize in a nutshell. His post about Beyond the ED, COVID-19 and critical care, I think is really worth listening to. And then his other one about blood clots and thrombosis in COVID, which is a hot topic. I'd recommend people have a read. Dan's experience is interesting because he's both an academic clinical professor of emergency medicine, but also practically treating these patients. And there's sort of the dichotomy between wanting perfect evidence and actually having to do it is well expressed by Dan. I think I would agree. I think both of those are are worth reading, particularly as we don't necessarily see what happens to our COVID-19 patients post ED. A lot of them will go to the ward, but a number will deteriorate on the ward and end up on ITU. So understanding their journey is quite important. One of the things I've learned was six weeks ago, I thought, let's get everyone ventilated. And now it appears that ventilators aren't good for you. There's so much changing. You put it so brilliantly, I think, on our last podcast where you said we've got to be agile. And we have. We've got to move with the evidence. We've got to move with what we learn on a day-to-day basis. Because it now appears on the 30th of April that trying to keep people off ventilators for as long as possible is probably a good idea. But who knows what that will be in a couple of weeks? Yeah, and I'd say possibly. I mean, if you need to go on a ventilator, you need to go on a ventilator. I think what's changed, what you're alluding to, is the fact that we originally thought that CPAP would not be a a useful tool, and and that definitely is changing. But which patients, how long for, what are the triggers for moving on, what are the triggers for coming off, is it safe, is it an AGP? All of those questions are still out there to be answered. So lots and lots of work yet to do. If you're into ultrasound, and frankly, who isn't, obviously, we're really lucky to have Kian writing a couple of posts for us about how we can use ultrasound during this COVID-19 pandemic. Some of it is beyond me, I think, and I need to read it really carefully to understand it, but there's clearly potential for this as a diagnostic entity. Yep, it's something we're using here in Manchester. It can be very useful in the ED setting. It's quite useful for looking at patients who you're not quite sure about the diagnosis in the recess room are pretty sick, and it might help you avoid calling something COVID-19 when it isn't just as much as finding out that something is COVID-19. So it's not a difficult skill, actually. If you've done your level one ultrasound, I think you can learn the basics of this really quite quickly. And I'd I'd advise going to have a look at those. That was also a webinar that we did with Archem as well, which went out to over 300 people. So so we've had quite a good success about distributing this information around. And personally, as a person who's into free open access medical education, it's been remarkable. The amount of scope, breadth, and reach that the various different phone sites have had is is great. And it, it does show, as you say, the agility of online education to bring people up to speed rapidly and safely. I'm sure a conversation in the future will be whether what or not we actually need medical conferences anymore. Now that we're all getting used to using these different ways of video conferencing, and we're also aware of the environmental impact of travel, 
maybe now that we've been forced to try it, we may actually accept this as the way forward in the majority for when we need to do this sort of education. Yeah, or I've got a few ideas because I'm now CPD lead for the colleges, you know, so I'm running their conferences. So I don't think conferences are dead, but they will be different. And I've got some quite innovative ideas. I'm not going to talk about them today, but quite innovative. Ian, we should probably talk about you as well, since you've uh, managed to get a post all about yourself in this month. Well, one tries just to, you know, subtly be be present. I just had a little, well, contretemps, should we call it, with some plants. And it was interesting. I came up in this florid rash and had no idea what it was. And it was quite alarming. And I just wondered, well, what what would happen if I wasn't an emergency physician who knows a dermatologist? What would I do? Because it was purpuric and it was widespread and it was rather alarming. In the end, it's slightly amusing, to be honest. And I just thought it was an opportunity to put a post on the site that wasn't about coronavirus, that might make people smile a bit. And also a little bit of education. After all, that's what we aim for, isn't it? To ed- educate and entertain. And I hope that post did that. No, it certainly did. There is actually a picture of your torso on there, which has the rash on. I've got to say, if it appeared in an exam, Ian, I would um, say that looks very much like secondary syphilis. As we say, we've been really busy on St Emlyn's over the last month or so. Simon, what would you say is the major thing that you have learned about this virus over the last few weeks? I think what I've learned most about this virus and the pandemic in general is that there is still quite a leap from theory and pathophysiological argument into clinical practice. And that translational or transitional part of evidence-based medicine, where you take what sounds like a damn good idea and take it to the bedside and then work out whether or not it does or does not happen, does or does not work, is absolutely vital. And that's where we should be pushing our efforts at the moment. And that's where we are pushing our efforts at the moment. Now, in order to do that, we need the big randomized control trials. They're ongoing. But we also need to have the discussion, communication, and the sharing of practice. It's really been great to see that happen pretty much all over the world. I think I've been reminded that science is important. The number of times on Twitter I read something where I just wonder whether the person actually went to their science classes at school and learned anything. Science is the foundation of a lot of what we need to understand in this world. And making that important, making that part of our education, making it interesting is a real key. If we could just spend a few minutes telling people what viruses actually are and how they work, I think a lot of the concerns about how this is transmitted would be alleviated. They'd be explained. They'd be less mysterious. And science can help dispel some of that mystery, I think. And hopefully this will inspire people to start to think a bit more about how things happen rather than just accepting them as being true. I would agree. I think the solution to this is going to be science. And it's a really exciting time to be in a specialty such as medicine where we can see it, we can feel it and we can be part of it. So that's the blog and podcast for April. It's been really busy. In some ways, I would like it to become less busy over May and June and July, because it means that hopefully we're starting to get back to something like a new version of normal. But St. Emlyn's will be here and we will be publishing. We've done some other stuff on the site that's probably just worth a mention. So if you are one of those trainees in emergency medicine in the UK who's looking at their upcoming ARCP and worrying about their curriculum coverage in their e-portfolio, we've reorganized the curriculum pages a little bit on the site to make it easier for you to find things. If you go to those, you can use them for e-learning, add a bit of reflection. 
and that can get you a tick in the box for some of those more obscure areas. We've got almost the entire curriculum covered, um, just in time for them to change it, obviously. But that's well worth a look. And it's going to sound silly, and please don't think this is just purely egotistical, but we really want to get this information out to as many people as possible. So do share these blog posts on social media. Tell your colleagues about them. If you listen to the podcast and enjoy it, please do rate us on iTunes. Apparently it matters and it can get more people to the science of coronavirus and more people listening to what really matters at the moment. I hope everybody stays safe. Wash your hands. I hope to speak to you all soon. Definitely keep safe and we'll be back very shortly, I'm sure. Take care, everyone. Thank you.